0: You're listening to My Cryptid Vacation, Episode 7. It's 1,300 miles from Chicago to Roswell, New Mexico, home of the International UFO Museum. I've got a full tank of gas, no packs of cigarettes, it's bright outside, and I'm wearing glasses. Let's hit it. Welcome to My Cryptid Vacation. trip properly begins now. I've filched the family minivan, replaced the back seats with an air mattress and a milk crate of dry snacks, filled a cooler with ice for cheese, condiments, and fake deli meats for sandwiches, and packed a few changes of clothes in a bag. It's time to hit the road. One thing I didn't do before I left was get the oil changed. Oh well, I'm sure that won't come back to bite me later. The focus of this project is, and will remain, the locations I visit, but I think I'd be doing a disservice by fully glossing over travel time. Of course, getting there is also part of the journey. The path I took to Roswell brought me through southern Illinois, through Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas, before dropping me off in New Mexico. In total, that's about 19 hours of driving, plus time for food, gas, and since I'm still constrained by my mortal shell, sleeping. And what an exciting time it was. So I just passed a sign that says, Welcome to St. Louis. And I have no choice but to assume that I have somehow uh, come near St. Louis. Um, On the plus side, it looks like I'm leaving very quickly. I'm I'm, I'm joking. I'm sorry, St. Louis people. I probably won't score any more points by calling it St. Louis, Missouri. Okay, I'll stop. As I'm in Missouri, just fascinating. Uh, I, I love the billboards, just calling for attention. One just says cave. There's like a cavern nearby. There's a Jesse James Museum. There's some sort of light show going on. There's a place called the Ozark Land. What I had kind of falsely assumed, I think, was Wisconsin's, you know, town-based, oh, you know, pay attention, come hang out. I'm starting to see it a lot in in places like this. And they're kind of individual attractions and not towns, so I guess that's the difference. But I'm passing uh, Merrimack Caverns, uh, and they're billing it as Float with the Caveman, uh, which does sound pretty fun. There's unique gifts and novelties, all sorts of things like that. Um, I have to wonder if I'm the the prime audience for some of this advertising. Or if there really is like an American road trip tradition of get in the car, go somewhere, see where the signs take us. The roadkill situation wasn't much better on this stretch of the trip. Just... different. So, we're not even out of Missouri yet, and I'm already seeing armadillos as roadkill. I thought that was like a Texas thing. How far south do do armadillos live? Are there armadillos in Illinois? Turns out that armadillos show up as far north as Illinois, probably due to climate change expanding their comfortable habitat and the relative paucity of natural predators in areas where they're not native. Their shells are pretty cool, but no match for a minivan going 80. Welcome to the Anthropocene, baby. A huge amount of the advertising out here seems to be uh, uniqueness. Um, the world's largest uh, gift shop, or something. Uh, the only place that you can get this particular kind of like smoked meat or or bread. Which you know, kind of makes sense with the Hodag and, and, and all that. Um, I mean, a, a cryptid, um, a mythological being or beast, and especially an installation in celebration of that creature, does seem to me like a really good way to get you know a bit of a bit of wiggle room to to say no, we're we're different enough from you know, Phillipsburg, Morristown, and, uh, you know, Vicks Harbor, or whatever, and be able to kind of stake a bit of your own claim. Um, and I do wonder if that's going to continue to pop up. These kind of a little bit off-the-map towns putting things together Draw attention, and I'm also kind of wondering about the funding of those locations. Like, if I wanted to open up a I don't know a night crawler museum in uh, Phillipsburg, Missouri, you know, can I get local funding for that? Is that something that like the Chamber of Commerce would be interested in? Also, I have to take this moment to ask, what the heck is a Purple Heart Trail? I keep seeing the signs and is it in honor of people who have been injured in combat or killed in combat? Is it funded and like maintained by veterans who have Purple Hearts and like choose to give back? I would like to find out more about what entails a Purple Heart trail. As a brief aside, It turns out that the Purple Heart Trail is effectively a sponsorship or promotion of a road, bridge, or other monument by the military order of the Purple Heart, which itself is a congressionally chartered veterans organization made up of veterans who have received the Purple Heart. The trail program is recent, started in 1992. According to its website, the purpose of the Purple Heart Trail is to create a symbolic and honorary system of roads, highways, bridges, and other monuments that give tribute to the men and women who have been awarded the Purple Heart Medal. Which, yeah, sure. So it's more of a memorial than anything else. A cursory Google search reveals that the military order of the Purple Heart got in a bit of hot water when, in 2007, it was revealed that only 32% of the organization's raised funds actually went to charitable programs. Lest you think that they've cleaned up their act as of late, Charity Navigator, a 501c3 organization that reviews the sustainability and transparency of charitable foundations, gave the MOPH a zero-star rating this year, for what it's worth. But, hey, at least the highway signs got me looking. Alright, so it's around 2.40, uh, which means the day's driving is about halfway done, and... I am about to leave Missouri. It does not want to relinquish its its claws. Uh, I feel like I've been, you know, I saw a sign last rest stop in Missouri. It feels like months ago. After seeing a bit of Oklahoma, I thought it was wonderfully scenic and kind of homey. I had the serious thought, this is some of the best driving that I've done on this trip so far. But then came the tolls. So I've just gotten into Oklahoma, and I'm like, you know what, I'm out of water, I should pull over. So I enter the state, and it's, oh, okay, you're going to have to pay a toll, a toll within 44 miles. All right, good to know. So I'm going, I enter in, and I pay a toll, I pay five dollars. So I keep going. And I take an exit right after this toll plaza to go fill up my water and go to the bathroom. And I turn right toward the exit and it's another toll booth. So I pull up and I present the receipt to the first toll booth at the second toll booth. And the, and I, I receive two dollars and twenty-five cents. Okay, kinda kinda weird, but I go to the toll. Or I go to the, go to the you know, bugs or whatever, go to the bathroom, fill up my water, and I come out, and I get back on 44, or I try to, because going on, there is another toll booth that requires a $2.50 toll to go west on this road. So, I think that was the most expensive exit that I've, I've taken so far. I feel like I could have gotten many other things for the cost of this one exit and, well, whatever. So, I I, I point this out, I'm paying the the third toll, and I say, that's that's one expensive exit. And the guy behind the the counter, the guy behind the toll booth says, yep, they sure like their money. Which I thought was really funny, because to me, that guy is the government who wants money. And perhaps this was like professional diffusion I, to me, it felt more casual than that, but and it 's funny to him he also does not think of himself as the government that is taking the money. Uh, I, just, I just found that was I just found that very funny. I forged on, leaving Missouri in the dust and powering through Oak, Oklahoma, where the winds swept softly round the plain. It was about this time that I realized the International UFO Museum had never really gotten back to me about my visit, so I decided to give them a call. So I just called in to the uh, International UFO Museum in Roswell uh, in preparation of coming there, and kind of like yesterday, I tried to reach uh, a few mailboxes, and the director's uh, mailbox was was pretty full, Um, and no one was really picking up. But this time, uh, the library picked up. So I spoke with an employee, and... uh, left a name, left a number, try to get a call back um, and arrange something with the director of the museum, but the employee mentioned that this was the busy season for the museum, and I I feel kind of bad about uh, personal projects taking a bunch of their time during a a peak season, but two facts kind of stood out to me. There's apparently an upcoming UFO festival um, July 1st and 3rd, or perhaps the first through the third um, in Roswell. And that is taking a lot of employee preparation to set up and and work on. And the second is that they get between, at the museum, 700 and 1,000 people a day during this kind of peak season. Um, Which to me is large. Like, that's I believe the most any museum that I've visited so far would, would take uh, at a time. Um, and I'm I'm really eager to f- learn what you know what the draw is why it's so high consistently. I wonder if there are like repeat visitors. I wonder if just the draw is larger for aliens in general than like one specific cryptid. The one Constant that I'm seeing in a lot of advertising on the billboards um, is pro-life content. Um, it's on bumper stickers. It's on truck backs. It's on billboards. It's on houses. Um, abortion is huge. Like, much bigger than I would have expected. I, I kind of subscribe to the, the school of Oh, you know, the Republican establishment drumming it up, evangelical kind of, you know, they they need to need a common enemy to to bring a lot of these uh, smaller tents into one big tent. Um, and, but this is a lot. This is a lot of uh, not like propaganda in the in the negative connotation, but like neutral, like you know, conveying a conveying an argument. Uh, the UFO Museum is doing big business. It is open every day of the year uh, from 9am to 5pm, with the exception of like 3 or 4 major holidays, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, and maybe one other, and it just closes at 12 the day before those and just closed the day of those. Um, those are pretty intense hours, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real. Uh, and I kind of wonder how many people are working there and how long the shifts are. You know, like, whats is this a bunch of seasonal workers or are there, like, diehard people at the museum? So, I'm in the Kickapoo Nation right now. There's the Kickapoo Turnpike coming up. And I'm just thinking, I, I, why do I know more about uh, the Hodag then I do the Kickapoo people. Like, I don't know, I, I mean, I know it's not my state, but there's the Hodag, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a shame on me moment, um, but God, that's embarrassing. I think we already learned that there are limits to what we can rely on uh, the United States government to give us in terms of ideology. So it's mostly embarrassing that I have not gone out and gone out and like I don't know educated myself. Maybe that's maybe that's for back home. So I passed a, uh, a McDonald's in Oklahoma and outside it's flying three flags. The American flag is of course the top and tallest, and about, I don't know, five feet below it, uh, standing at equal heights, the McDonald's flag and the flag of the state of Oklahoma. All right, partners, the time is 10.29, and we have entered the great state of Texas state line. We are in Wheeler, Texas. And uh, uh, looking around, it seems like the rootin', tootin' and shootin' is at a a minimal level. All right, so 15 minutes into Texas. Uh, So far there has been no whistling tumbleweeds or people saying it's high noon which maybe I'll have to wait until it's actually closer to noon. But so far, uh, 3 out of 10, Texas, you got to try harder. I pushed on into the night. Cold brew concentrate in my system and extraterrestrials on my mind. Aliens occupy a notable cultural space, an odd intersection between philosophy, conspiracy, and science fiction. There are a few ways of understanding them, as I would learn by the end of this trip, much like there are many ways of understanding Bigfoot. Not to limit, by the way. I'm pretty sure it's Sontag who wrote about interpreting art as a way to intellectualize it and to not feel it, and that isn't what I want anyone, especially listeners of this podcast, to do. Rather, interpretations of these phenomena are ways of making them mean more than they might at first glance, to see them as unintentional, and perhaps intentional, codes and messages in and of themselves. I think analysis ought to enhance the emotive response, not neglect or diminish it. Okay, tirade over. Probably the first cultural meaning of extraterrestrial life in modern American memory is linked to conspiracy. Remember that the early 40s were the domain of the Manhattan Project, the United States' attempt to build nuclear weapons. The project, mostly put on by the Army Corps of Engineers, employed at its heyday over 130,000 people and cost the United States $2 billion, or $23 billion when adjusted for inflation. The Trinity Test, named after a line in an obscure John Donne poem, was the first deployment of a nuclear weapon into human history. It took place in 1945, less than a month before the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it took place only 150 miles, a a two-and-a-half-hour drive, from Roswell, New Mexico. The Roswell narrative entered the cultural mainstream when books began to be published in the 1980s and 90s, in the post-Watergate and Vietnam era. Distrust of the government and a pervasive counterculture in the 1970s laid the groundwork for this shift, I think. It was the 1940s, yeah, sure, the FBI suits were dismissive to some rural farmers rubbing them the wrong way, but the Americans had just beaten the Germans and Japanese. Civic pride was high, for white people, at least, and it wasn't until the country saw the horror show of Vietnam that we realized how bad the U.S. could actually be. And, after Watergate, see what lengths it would go to to cover those bad things up suddenly the alien narrative started to make a bit more sense. A Pew Research poll from 2021 indicates that around 65% of Americans say their best guess is that intelligent life exists outside of Earth. However, it's not clear if that's in the philosophical abstract or in the aliens have already visited us. That, like UFOs, is up in the air. But a slim majority of Americans also think that UFOs are not a threat. Around 51%. Maybe, despite our misgivings, they do come in peace. So I made some snarky quip about getting off the road sometime soon. So I was very tired, and no sooner had I spoken than a rest area appeared. So uh, maybe I should be more snarky, or uh, maybe I should just like complain more often. But uh, some cryptid somewhere is looking out for me. And this place is, I mean, this place is nice. It's got like a scenic lookout, it's got like a main encampment. The places in Illinois are effectively campsites. Um, but this is this is something special. I woke up only four hours from Roswell, with a good portion of the trip already under my wheels. The place where I bedded down in Texas Gray County. <laughs> <laughs> All hail West Texas indeed, baby. I found myself in Hereford, Texas, USA, as the sign calls it. The beef capital of the world. If you know cows, then you probably know about Hereford cows. I certainly thought this was where they originated, but I was mistaken. The breed is actually from Herefordshire, England. But, eh. We pushed on through West Texas and wound up at a town that I took a particular liking to. So it would appear that I'm in Clovis, which is hilarious. We're passing Clovis Community College. But there's a place called the Velvet Taco, and it's uh, it's a novelty store. Which, if you've driven around the western United States, uh, you will know that novelty store is slang for... Like, adult shop, or, like, sex toys, lingerie. And the sign underneath, it was one of those, you know, uh, almost like fast food, you put up individual letters, signs, like one of the manual ones. And it said, thank you, Clovis. And I'm kind of curious about that. Like, was was it an ordeal to get their business approved by, like, the city council or something? Or are they, like, tongue-in-cheek thanking the community for their patronage? Um, I don't know. I, I just love that. I love that sign. Like, thank you, Clovis! Like, what could it mean? I don't have a better way to put it than... It feels like a ton of the things in uh, New Mexico are... Uh, like like the signs and the billboards and even some of the buildings the even like the fonts and the designs they look like they're from the 70s or like left over from the 80s. Um, it's a fun kind of like retro I don't know. I could stop at McGinn's Pistachio Land to see the world's largest pistachio. <sighs> God damn, okay, no, no, okay, that would be a really cool road trip. Just the biggest things road trip. Oh, God, okay. I I should probably finish this one before I start planning other uh, stupid adventures. It took me all the way to New Mexico until I finally found what I was looking for. We did it! A tumbleweed! So I've had a bit of a slowdown in Portales. There is... Uh, so the highway kind of snakes through the middle of the town. I, I shouldn't say the highway. The, the, the road that I'm on snakes through the town. And both lanes of it are completely obstructed by state police. It's a state police escort for an oversized load of something that I, I cannot clearly identify. Um, it's... Some sort of industrial architecture, it looks like. It's like pipes in a little, you know, crisscross pattern. Um, it almost looks like a garden trellis, but it's huge and made out of metal. And, I mean, oversized load, it is, it is taking up both lanes. It's uh, huge. I really wonder what that is. Some sort of technical, I don't know, maybe some sort of like energy equipment. Kind of looks like it's got a, you know, a platform or two. Alright. Alright. We're winding around. I sense we are nearly out of the woods. And it would appear that we are home free. Okay. Excellent. Let's go, uh... Let's go mess with some aliens, huh? I think my heart might be softened to the cause of the... International UFO Museum, Uh, having seen the government carrying around and carting huge, unspecified pieces of machinery, um, I'm I'm starting to understand the conspiracy cover-up impulse even more. After seeing such a strange object, I started to understand The scrubland stretches off in all directions. Faded metal and rust clings to the buildings on impossibly long highways, and huge trucks carting arcane machinery protected by uniformed officers are just... around. There's an incongruity here, an obvious distinction between the open and the plain against the hidden and mysterious. I half expected to be shooed away by the men in black if I hung around too long. Mm. things I can't explain due to time constraints here about what went down in Roswell in 1947. But the location of this museum, and the fervor with which it operates, won't make a lot of sense without some basic background. I can't do it justice, but here's the gist of the most commonly accepted version of events. On July 7th, 1947, rancher Mac Brazel brought a collection of material he'd found crashed on his land to a sheriff's office in Roswell. There had been, at the time, a bit of a UFO craze going on, something Brazel was unaware of given his ranch's lack of phone or radio. The Army became involved when Brazel brought Major Jesse Marcel back to the crash site on his land, where some more material, mostly rubber and tinfoil, was collected. On July 8th, the Army issued a press release that claimed that the 509th Operations Group had recovered a flying disc that had crashed near Roswell. Of note, the 509th is a direct descendant of the 509th Composite Group, the guys who delivered the atomic bombs to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, honestly, that's kind of it. Marcel, the guy that moved the debris, never claimed there were alien bodies present. In fact, a lot of facts attributed to this Roswell story are taken from the Aztec New Mexico UFO hoax a year later in 1948 which claimed to feature alien corpses and salvaged alien technology. As early as July 9th, consensus amongst military officials was that the recovered material was a weather balloon downed during routine operations, but threats of cover-up and miscommunication made fertile ground for conspiracies to pop out of the woodwork. The first published theory I could find about this incident comes from the 1980 book The Roswell Incident by Charles Berlitz grandson of the guy who founded the Berlitz language schools, by the way, and William Moore. The book hypothesizes that an alien craft was observing U.S. nuclear tests when it was struck by lightning and destroyed, prompting a government cover-up. And theories spiral from there, from the pseudoscientific to outlandishly improbable. I decided to keep my eyes on the road. As I am scooting along this highway, I would like to give a quick shout-out to the Sigma Chi Fraternity at Eastern New Mexico University. Uh, I saw your name on the highway donation sign. And let me just tell you, this highway is looking spick and span. Uh, Thank you for your your tireless service. Um, Sincerely, one appreciative motorist. There isn't a lot around Roswell. It's flatland. Small towns, a few sprawling ranches, and then, boom, you're downtown. So I'm driving through, uh, what I can only imagine is downtown Roswell on 285 South. And it's subtle, it's quiet, but there are quite a few references to the UFO Museum. Um, There's like the Galaxy Plaza. There are, you know, businesses named after vaguely astrological or astronomically themed words. There's an odd bit of interference there that I can only attribute to extraterrestrial activity. As featured on the MCV Instagram, the flagpoles on the main street through Roswell are decorated with alien heads and extraterrestrial imagery. References, names, visual motifs. They're all ubiquitous. (laughs) International UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico, is really three buildings. The museum proper, the library, and the gift shop. The museum is basically one huge room with displays proceeding clockwise. Right when you walk in is an exploration of the events of the Roswell incident, skillfully blending witness testimony and photographs, providing a thorough timeline of events. Other exhibits have hypothetical alien experimentation dioramas, celebrations of extraterrestrials in media, accounts from eyewitnesses in the years since the Roswell event, and even a recreated wooden panel in an Ancient Astronauts conspiracy nod. As a quick aside, Ancient Astronauts is the theory that prehistoric civilizations made contact with extraterrestrials, some of which were worshipped as deities, and which influenced human culture, science, and folklore. On its surface, this seems pretty innocuous, but it leads to some weird, vaguely racist or historically dismissive places. Thinking that ancient Egyptians built the pyramids to communicate with alien crafts as bright as the sun is misguided and pretty falsifiable, while thinking that they only could have built those structures with extraterrestrial technology and not, you know, human ingenuity or immense dedication comes off as a bit odd. The library is either a marvel of analog storage or a gish gallop on steroids, depending on how you look at it and how much of it you read. I didn't count the number of binders packing the walls of the reading space, but did investigate some of them at random. There's a combination of monographs, newspaper clippings, and NASA data of many shapes and sizes, all available for public research. Pretty much everything in the International UFO Museum's archive has been donated, some of it meticulous, lifelong collections of people who care more about aliens than I could care about anything. I stopped at the gift shop on my way out, and, as to be expected, there's merchandise of every shape and size. Tacky is the standard, and neon green is practically a requirement, in the best way possible. Pretty much anything you can imagine with an alien theme is sold here, from stuffed little green men to accessories of every size and shape there's a lot of literature for sale as well. Alien literature is its own beast, connected conceptually to Bigfoot literature, but with a much broader scope. There's an existential dimension to alien research. The first step to any investigation is acceptance of humanity's limited position in an unlimited universe. Needless to say, I didn't touch the books. I stocked up on souvenirs and hit the road. But before I left... I had the pleasure of sitting down with the current manager of the International UFO Museum, Beth Wiegand. A quick apology for the noise in the background. We spoke in the library, which had intermittently firing fans I wasn't aware of when we started. Edited for brevity and clarity, here's our conversation. Alright, so I think we should be live. Um, yeah, just to start off, I'm wondering if I could get your name and the position that you hold at the museum.
1: Um, my name is Beth Wiegand, and everybody pretty much does everything, uh, but if you go looking for me, you usually find me a bit Greeter's where I was. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Kind of the headhunt, the, the <laughs>
1: nerve center. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, okay. So I'm curious um, about what you did before coming to this uh, institution. Like, were you trained in another way, or has this kind of been like a long time? Well, I've always
1: been interested in in the genre itself. And I've always been uh, fascinated by the fact that at one point when I was very, very young, I actually had a sighting that really impressed me. And then from that point on, I realized, I focused on the fact that if you think about it, it's mathematically impossible that we're the only ones. We couldn't be. And I've just pretty much followed that. Not that I made it like a profession or anything like that, but when my husband and I decided we were going to retire, we were going to retire to some small town, that was high and dry because we had health issues. You know, I guess when you get older, you have sinus and arthritis and all of that. Um, We came here to visit friends that lived here in Roswell, and we loved it, absolutely loved it. Now, why at that time we didn't come to the museum, I don't really remember. I don't really remember it being a choice to not come here, but we just didn't. When we decided to move here, I thought, International UFO Museum, that all about? I mean, and it's plugged into a vintage movie theater. I mean, this is getting interesting. Yeah. So we came here, and I realized that at first what I thought was, was well, if you told people that you believed in aliens, you're instantly nuts, right? If you follow that thought, and you follow it in a certain way, well, you're either clinically nuts or you're off your meds I mean that's how far out in left field it is but if you take a good look at it a good look at all of it it's very very real and everything that you see here is a result of a conspiracy you went through the museum and you saw the laid out in a timeline fashion look at everything that happened and follow it from day to day to day to day How could that be? How could all of that have come from a farmer finding a weather balloon? Really, every military structure on the planet at that time was instantly involved in the fact that a farmer found a weather balloon? I don't think so. Mr. Brazzle finding a debris field on the ranch everybody saw what came out of the sky everybody saw it its condition as it was coming out of the sky people saw it impact the earth people heard it, people found it people knew exactly what was going on but then they tried to convince them it was a weather balloon there's no way I mean hundreds of people saw it Living here and knowing what, have you ever seen one? They're very impressive, very impressive. They're huge in the way they go up and they go through the, you now when they hit Atmo, they spread out and the sun reflecting on them, they can look like a disc, but then they come back down and they don't come careening out of the sky in a ball of fire. They oh just boy, kind of God. float to the ground and boom, there they are. How in the world could somebody take that thing careening out from the northwest, impacting the earth, creating a debris field? You, if that wouldn't happen with 500 weather balloons, let alone one. I mean, can you see it?
0: I, I can see it. And, <laughs> and going around, I, that's why I really like the way that the museum kind of laid out the day, mm-hmm. like the, the, yeah. the chronology. Because I think it's, for me, kind of the uninitiated, it was very, like, abstract okay so this might have happened a cover up but names faces here mm-hmm. it's,
1: exactly it's really exactly impressive. and the people involved in it uh, our founders Walter Hot and Glenn Dennis and Max Littell and everybody that was involved in it to begin with uh, eventually said that, said to themselves we, we want people to know the truth mm-hmm. so they started with Dr. Ellen Hynek at the Center for UFO Studies got him involved in it, and he got uh, his best people involved in it. And as they found the witnesses, they found people. Now, some people still didn't want to talk, but some people did. Some people were told to shut up, but they didn't. And some people were bought. You know, here's here's five grand. Tell me everything you know. Well, yeah, sure, for five grand. You asked ten different people the same question and look at their reaction everybody that felt true to their hearts that what they saw and what what they experienced was real and they all said it in the same way they all sat there real quiet like they were sharing a confidence mm-hmm. and he said the look in their eye and the tone of their voice and they all said something and did something he said that had me convinced. They looked up in the sky. They held their left hand up to the sky. I saw it. It came out of the sky. And then they put their hands to their ears and, and, and they say, and the noise was horrendous. Now, these are people that didn't know each other, mm-hmm. had seen something. Maybe they were like 20 miles out of town. Maybe they were 20 miles out that way, had never met each other, had never spoken to each other. But they all did the same thing in the same way. Now, you got two or three hundred people that saw the same thing in the same way, experienced this, experienced that. He said, You got something. And that's what compelled them to keep going. But then, at the end of it all, what they had was all this information corroborated information it was all factual they were convinced it was factual Mm -hmm. but there was like um there was media there was testimonies there was commitments there was affidavits Mm -hmm. and you know phone time and film time and he they said well what are we going to do with it there there we have it but what are we going to do with it well you could put it in a book well with a book nothing wrong with books But somebody has to actually sit down and read it. And are they going to comprehend it? Are you going to get your point across? Okay. You can make a movie, but same thing with a movie. Somebody's going to have to sit down and watch it. And are you going to get your point across? Are they going to comprehend it? And then one of the researchers said, how about a museum? Now, we all go to museums. I feel we go to museums to connect with our heritage on our own level we appreciate art we appreciate music we appreciate sculpture we appreciate uh, appreciate science and technology but we have to appreciate that on our own level mm-hmm. and that's where the museum got started
0: a way to kind of reach
1: exactly in, uh, exactly a way that people and it, connect with. this right here all of this isn't even the tip of the iceberg people just started sharing sharing the books magazines stories um experiences, and we went from um, two rooms at the Bank of America building a couple blocks up to a storefront, to another storefront,
0: to this. I'm kind of curious about the people who come to a museum like this, kind of with with the intention. Do you find, in your experience, that there tend to be more people who, um, almost almost like you, oh, international... Wonder what, what that's about, and they mm-hmm. kind of are drawn by curiosity, or do you find that there are more people who are drawn in very intentionally? Like I've I've come across the country to seek this place out mm-hmm. to you know know its secrets. Um, what is the kind of ratio, or like, are there visitors who don't kind of subscribe to either of those?
1: I think it's curiosity. To be perfectly honest with you, it piqued my curiosity, and I was quote a believer unquote. But I think people come here, well, you have to admit that we're the only one like it. In In our entirety, we're the only one like it. We're open 9 to 5, 362 days a year, and we charge a nominal fee to come in. All of this is available. All of it. You don't have to pay extra. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to line up. It's all available, which... Uh, defines our mission statement, collect, protect, and make available any and all information, which is what we do. Now, why people come through the front door, I don't know. I think it's, I think it starts with curiosity. But I think, too, that a lot of people, um, maybe there's a void somewhere that they'd like to fill. Uh, let's find out if they really are real. Let's find out if they really are out there. You know, let's cover up a gray area. Let's find out... If uh, Fox and Scully are right Let's find out if Let's find out if Steven Spielberg was right By the way, Steven Spielberg consulted with Dr. Alan Hynek For uh, Close Encounters? Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah And the movie The movie is all about communication Which I think is quite interesting Quite interesting
0: I'm um, kind of curious, in your, in your experience, what are some of your favorite parts of doing this kind of work, and what are some things that are less favorite, or if any?
1: Well, I love sharing our museum, and people like you that want to come and sit down one-on-one and like, do a deep dive on our museum, I love that. And I really have to say that I mean, just being being a person that puts yourself out um, with other people. Sometimes you meet people that you wish you hadn't met. <laughs> but we all go there, right? <laughs> yeah, we all go there, and you just kind of take it with a grain of salt. Unfortunately, um, but there again, you know, you never know. You make I run across people that are just you know, so so non-believers that they're hostile about it, yeah. but they came through the front door, because I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm not going to say, well what are you doing here then, who knows, maybe they'll walk away thinking, well maybe I'm wrong, I doubt that, but there you are, you have to take the good with the bad, how do they put it, the yin with the yang? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I guess kind of with, like, the the, the non-believer or the the skeptical aspect. um, Well, see, being
1: skeptical, to me, that just means you need more information. You're not really sure. You're not really sure. And maybe that's where that void comes in. Maybe that's why we're here, is maybe a skeptic will come in and see something that, oh, wow, really, I didn't know that. And with, you know, revelations and different... uh, uh, technologies being applied and uh, like brand new things happening every day, like you know, sightings and experiences. Well, if you're skeptical and you're still leaving your, yourself open, then I think maybe you're gonna find something that will kind of fill that skepticism a little bit, if that makes any sense. A little piece of information will kind of push it over for you? Maybe? Who knows? The film that we have in the video room, if you sit down and watch that film, that might do it for you. That film is really, really grassroots. It's people that are sharing their experiences. Just everyday people. They're not scientists. They're just everyday people that are sharing their experiences. And granted, sometimes people have an experience to share and you kind of think, wow, really, that's kind of out there. But then some people have things to share that's not so out there.
0: I, um, I, you had mentioned that you were, you had retired and kind of picked this up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you, like, um, if you, like, run into people who, uh, you run with people outside of the museum, like if mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're at a function or something. Mm-hmm. What are the common, I guess, misconceptions about what it is you do, or like the line, of, the line of work you find yourself in?
1: I get a lot of people, of course I'm running around town in the shirt,
0: you know. It's a good shirt. <laughs>
1: The other day, some guy got mad at me because I wouldn't help him load up his car. He thought I worked at Albertsons. (laughs) I'll help you load up your car, but I don't work here. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I think a lot of people think that we're probably a tourist trap, but um, we bring, um, overall, adding everything up, we bring a lot of money into this community. So I don't think that they're scoffing at what we do because we do bring a lot into the community. For, that They did like this average, actually have a, uh, an impact sheet, a financial economic impact sheet that uh, you can screenshot if you want. Um, everything all added up. Uh, I think it was like $50 million a year Now you can make fun of that if you want, and you don't have to be a believer to appreciate that. That's a lot of money to bring into the community. We bring a lot of people that eat lunch, buy t-shirts, tank up, spend a night or two, go out to eat a really, really nice, we have a lot of really good restaurants here. The average person for the average person coming through Roswell, I believe, it's a little over $100 a person. That's a lot of money for a tourist trap. I mean, we're not Disneyland or anything like that, but I think that we're more than a tourist trap. I think people... Well, let's say somebody comes through Roswell and they don't spend all that money, but they've still been impacted by what we do here. There's, I think, to me, I'm not seeing that money isn't important. It literally does make the world go round. It does, okay? But... I think that we have uh, a spiritual impact on people, too, because they've, they've been given the opportunity to see things differently. It's not just somebody telling them or somebody saying, sit down and read this book or sit down and watch this movie. we got the goods. We've got the information. We've got everything for you, all of it for you. And a lot of this, remember I was telling you that a lot of this stuff when it went from paper to digital got burned well it was people that appreciated things that what, what we do here that called us and said would you like to have it it wasn't us just barreling through people's trash bins it was people that worked at NASA people that worked for the NACA that said we can't give you everything but would you like what we can give you absolutely you know one gentleman's collection that spinner right there that's one gentleman's lifetime collection in scrapbook form of articles from the genre. That right there is a gold mine, my friend. As a journalist, you'd, you'd appreciate the fact that at times, you know, you, you can write anything you want. But when people say, "Well, where'd you get that? What publication did that come out of?" You got to do notes. You got to do acknowledgments. If you use something out of one of the articles in in one of those binders, you can say that you got it out of that,
0: because you did. You had mentioned uh, the community, kind of bringing money in mm-hmm. and, and bringing tourists in, and I wanted to, I, I had kind of two questions, and the first was about um, the community impact. I noticed like the street lights were kind of alien with the American mm-hmm. flags. Yeah, and yeah. There's, you know, like the Galaxy laundromat or other things. Mm-hmm, right? yeah. Would you, is that kind of something that the museum uh, encourages? or is Oh, it sure. Like a, have fun
1: with it. you got to have fun with it. Okay. Who doesn't like Marvin the Martian? I love Marvin the Martian. <laughs> Who doesn't like
0: Marvin
1: the Martian? I'll give you that. <laughs> you got to have some fun with it. You do. you got to have
0: some fun with it. So kind of community side, I guess, I was also looking at the art that you guys have um, at the... Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of on the way by the movie theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of like the murals that I've seen around Mm Roswell, I kind of wanted to ask you about that spiritual or cultural impact that kind of alien ufology um, tends to have. Like, is is there... Do you find that visitors to the museum are kind of open-minded in other aspects? Do you think that the museum has kind of encouraged... I don't want to say like paradigm shifting, but mm-hmm. um, like utopian or, you know, kind of think different, uh, less conventional methods of like...
1: I like to think that thinking. we've encouraged people to be a little m- more open-minded, broad-minded. But I also like to feel that one of the things that we like to offer people is the chance to explore things that they might not have had an opportunity to explore and it's our library
0: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of really remarkable books in that library but keep in mind that a book you write a book and you have to have that book published if you want to put it in front of somebody and if you're self-publishing that gets expensive so you may only have 200 copies of that book in circulation and we might very well have that book a very important book mm-hmm. extremely important book we, we might have that for you. And that might have some information in that there that, that would turn it around for you. Say, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Interesting.
0: I was, I was talking with the uh, receptionist behind the desk. Uh-huh. You mentioned that. And I, I was unfamiliar. Can you explain a little bit about the festival? Oh, it's,
1: it's just that. People come from all of, literally come from all over the world by the busloads to come to our, our festival. We have speakers this year. We're going to have... Uh, Luis Elizondo um, we're going to have people you know the, uh, how the government is, uh, and congress is uh, opening up we're going to have a lot of people from uh, the government um, we're going to have we always have um, Don Schmidt I don't know if Mr. Carey will be joining us but um, we'll definitely have Don Schmidt, Frank Himmler um, we'll have um, and I was really excited we're going to have one of, the, uh, uh, one of the hypnotherapists that helps people that have had uh, incidents of visitation. Uh, contactees, her name is Yvonne Smith, and she's just the most wonderful lady. Um, I just love her to pieces. She's written a remarkable book called Chosen. That's really a remarkable book. Um, we'll have Tom Reed, we'll have Travis Walton. Yeah, it's gonna be a blast. And it's gonna be our 75th. Wow. Yeah,
0: it's gonna be a blast. And so the, the museum, was founded. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. So has the has the festival been taking place longer than the museum is?
1: Um, the our first festival was I believe in '97. Uh, the 75th anniversary is uh, the 75th anniversary of the incident itself.
0: Okay, sorry. Yeah. Got those. Got yeah, it right is. <laughs> I was like,
1: I, oh, we haven't been here that long. <laughs> I,
0: was like, I I thought I thought they got the dates a little bit. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I I guess the the question I usually try to end these kind of interviews with, and this is personal curiosity, as I've asked kind of everyone, Uh and you can answer this as much, or if not, it does make you comfortable, you don't need to answer Mm -hmm. it. Um, But I'm curious if you have ever had, and I I I think you've mentioned something before, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious if you have ever experienced something that you would describe as a supernatural or paranormal occurrence whatever that word means to you.
1: I wouldn't exactly call it supernatural. I guess you could call it paranormal. Um, I had a a sighting when I was very young. I was 11 at the time. And it, it really went to impress me that there are, that we are not alone that there are other, other galaxies, that there are other, other civilizations, that there couldn't be only one, mathematically speaking. And I came to this conclusion when I was 11. And I don't know why this would happen on occasion, and it still does. Now, this is going to seem really, really odd. But here it goes. Okay. Matter of fact, the last time it happened, it was about, let's see. I think it was like in May, just just, just this past May. Um, I always wake up early, and I don't know why. And the first thing I do is go outside, no matter what's going on out there. I mean, it could be really, really bad weather. I always go outside, and I look up. I don't know why. I'm not saying every single one but it's my habit go outside it's usually around 5 or 5.30 in the morning and I, I look up okay this last May I looked directly up and there was this really really weird red light that just stayed there and then disappeared and that's not the first time that that's happened but the first time it happened was just maybe within the year after I had that sighting. I know it sounds weird. Isn't that weird?
0: Sounds pretty weird.
1: And that was in uh, San Bernardino Mountains in uh, Southern California. It wasn't here. And it's happened wherever I lived. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Now, I don't know if that light makes me a contactee I don't feel like I've ever been abducted not that I know of anyway I don't think I've been spirited away off the earth into a ship or anything like that but I I do think that there's a connection between that sighting and the red light and I don't know why I'm not a scientist by any stretch
0: I wanted to thank you so much for speaking
1: oh my my pleasure My pleasure, of course. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing.
0: Part of me wants to stick around for the upcoming UFO Festival. No doubt it would be a spectacle, a whole operation of people coming together for a really interesting convention. I want to see the town of Roswell transformed into its best self, or maybe its most alien self. But in a way, I already have. The events of 1947 have stuck around here longer than anywhere else in memory, and by establishing a physical presence combined with a cultural convention, I think this town has kept the Roswell incident a pop culture phenomenon instead of letting it dissolve into muddy, unspecified history. The most enigmatic thing about this museum, as far as I see it, is its willingness to use both hard science and soft accounts to promote its message. One station includes a chemical analysis of a piece of metal thought to be recovered from a UFO, complete with mind-melting chemical symbols and what looks to me, someone with a B- in high school chem, to be fair, like solid enough science. Just a few feet away is a dense block of text, accounts of a husband and wife, who'd never read anything about aliens or alien abductions, describing a close encounter they had as they were driving home in the 60s. Sometimes, I think accounts like this can be discounted in favor of hard evidence, but I really like that both perspectives are highlighted and promoted here. The museum seems willing to listen, willing to take contradictions on the chin, and to roll with the punches. It's not scientific per se, but it's not wholly spiritual either. In this devotion to keeping all the options open, and the rigor with which it records and displays, the International UFO Museum is certainly unique amongst museums on this trip. Not that listening is always a good thing. One of the founders of the museum, local mortician Glenn Dennis, claims to be an original witness of some of the original incident, including claiming a local nurse told him she'd been involved with an alien autopsy a nurse whose name he changed once it was confirmed that such a person never existed. Combined with the fact he did not give testimony about his experiences until 1991, coincidentally, the year the International UFO Museum was founded, some believe that he's not the most reliable of sources. Dennis, unfortunately, passed away in 2015, so I won't be following up with him anytime soon. There's folk art out here in the desert wrought metal on signposts in the shape of cowboys, animals, flora, and fauna. An alien waves goodbye as we head out of Roswell, thanking us for our visit. It looks odd, with a big head and black eyes, but a humanoid, mischievous smirk. In a universe as big as this one, I have the suspicion that we're all a little bit more related than we might realize. We're in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Georgia for a visit to Expedition Bigfoot. Next week on my cryptid vacation. You're so hypnotizing. Could you be the devil? Could you be an angel? Your touch magnetizing. Feels like I'm floating. There's my body glowing. They say. Be afraid you're not like the others futuristic lovers did friend DNA they don't understand you you're from a whole My Cryptid vacation is a podcast recorded, edited and produced by me, Clovis. If you like what I do, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com/clovisthefox. Special thanks to Beth Weekend whose storytelling and generosity made this episode possible. The outro music is a cover of E.T. by Katy Perry. My Crypted Vacation is distributed under a Creative Commons non-attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 4.0 international license. You're an alien, Your touch so foreign. It's supernatural, extraterrestrial.